Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Join with me as we just come before the Father this morning. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you this morning to worship you in all of your splendor and majesty. To focus all of our desires, emotions, energy, finances, and our very lives is a reasonable sacrifice. Give us the desire and strength to forsake all for the purpose of seeing you as the most valuable treasure. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It is him that we have the forgiveness of sin and the ability to approach the throne room of grace, knowing that we are at peace. Let us consider the works of Christ as most precious and worthy of sharing with others. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Helper, who carries our prayers to the heavens. We humbly ask that you send them to us this morning with a great outpouring, and let nothing quench his important work. We come before you this morning understanding that there is nothing that we have to offer as everything we have is a grace gift from you. All that you require is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Come open our eyes to your magnificent and beauty. Let all who are in attendance this morning come to a saving knowledge of you. And let us rejoice in the wonderful, transformative power of your gospel. We pray this in the name of your Son. And all God's people said, and God is good, is He not? Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 11 through 24 as we're working our way through the book of Galatians. As we talk about the power of the transformed life. Last week we learned that it was our duty to hold on to the precious gospel, to live out its implications, and then to share that gospel with others. As we saw that there's all sorts of gospels out of the little g's the little gospels that compete for people's attention these are messages that we preach to ourselves citing the false reasons god will surely love and accept us there's the gospel of association that's the gospel that says i'm a christian because i was raised in a christian home that's a false gospel there's the gospel of achievement where it says god loves me because i do so much for him. Again, that's a false gospel. And there's some of us that live out the gospel of comparison. I'm holy because I'm not as messed up as he or she is. Again, another false gospel. And so we ended last week by understanding that you and I need to cling to the true gospel. It was under attack 2,000 years ago, and it was attacked today in the same way. So we must cling to the gospel of Christ. For you and I are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and you and I must not accept no substitution when it comes to the gospel. Now as you and I cling to the gospel, that any time the gospel is preached, that there will arise demonic 
resistance. Churches, pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and even you, the saints, are to expect resistance anytime we share the gospel. The enemy will use any tactic, any strategy, any weapon at his disposal to try and defeat, destroy, decimate, disqualify, and cast doubts on those that proclaim the life-giving, transformative power of the gospel. Believe it. It is true. Paul is no exception. And once again, he has to defend his ministry to those that he's poured out his life and have received that power. Father, we come before you, and I pray now that you would find satisfaction in, Lord, the fact that we're here this morning and that our hearts are attuned to you. I pray that your spirit would have free reign. Lord, let me speak words that are edifying, that are built up, that are words of challenge. Lord, I pray that you would fill up what's lacking in my ability or, or in my study or my presentation, Lord, and that that it would not point away from your truth, but Lord, I pray that your truth would have prominence. And Lord, take your Holy Spirit, take that word, and may it find deep, uh, tender soil that it may grow and that it may grow a hundredfold. And Father, we thank you for your word. Join with us this morning, we pray. I want to share with you three observations about the transforming power of the gospel as we look here, starting with verse 11. The first one that we're going to look at, the first observation, is the transforming power of the gospel is divine in nature. The transforming power of the gospel is divine in nature. Look at verse 11. He goes on to say, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. When he uses that phrase, would you have you know, that's a strong Greek verb that Paul uses here. And it's often used to introduce an important statement as he wants to make it very clear that he's not preaching another man's gospel. Some were accusing him of distorting the message of the apostles, Peter, James, and John, and so forth. However, Paul was taught not by man, but he was taught by Christ himself. Paul's gospel has a supernatural divine origin, not a natural human origin. We see that in Acts 26. Now you may turn to Acts 26, They'll also be on the monitor as we look at verse 12 and as we get a glimpse of what happened to him on that road to Damascus. For in verse 12 he says, In this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, well, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, and to the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In there we see the power of the gospel. That's what the gospel does. It takes us from darkness into light. It helps us to see us enemies of God, but yet then we become through Christ the friends of God. The transforming power of the gospel is divine in nature. Paul says, I didn't learn it from some man. I was given to it on the road to Damascus. I was given an insight into the things of Christ. I'm not distorting some man's gospel. I'm not taking and turning it differently. The second observation that we can see from this passage about the transforming power of God is that it's a work of God. It's not a work of man, but it's a work of God. Let's continue in verse 13, for he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. At this point, Paul is contrasting his life before Christ and after. The few points we see from his brief testimony here, his biography, is that Paul was very zealous for God, for the law, and the traditions. When Paul writes the traditions of my fathers, he refers to the rabbinic teaching that was the foundation of the Jewish life in the first century, particularly for the Pharisees. So Paul was very zealous for God. He loved God. He loved God's law. But he also viewed Christianity as a threat and Jesus as an enemy of God. He was committed to destroy this new upstart sect. He was passionate that Jesus was not the Messiah and that it must be totally destroyed. And it was his duty to do so. He envisioned himself as a modern-day King David standing before the Philistines. He saw himself as Elijah setting before Ahab and Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. He saw himself as Isaiah, the one who stood at the courts and said, listen, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians are coming. You must repent. He considered himself a valiant warrior on God's behalf. And at one time, he was worse than these Judaizers. As you remember, these Judaizers themselves were zealous for God's law. They accepted Christ, but yet they said, we need to add something on to the gospel. As you may recall, for those of you who may not have been here, that's the error that Paul is trying to rectify. He was saying it's not so to add on the Mosaic law, to add on the law of Moses, to add on circumcision is an error because you're adding on to the works of Christ. So he was zealous for God, the law and the traditions. And that brought him to view Christianity as a threat and Jesus as the enemy of God. And as you know, Saul, Paul as he was known then, he was going around the countryside imprisoning and persecuting Christians anywhere and everywhere he could find them. However, here's the power of the gospel. For one who hated the gospel in its entirety, 
for one who rejected the gospel, for the one who hated the name of Jesus and killed those who claimed his name, God repurposed Paul. He repurposed Paul's zeal and his passion. Instead of completing his task that he set out to do in Damascus, God recruited Paul to his team. Amen? And you see, that's very much the same way. For the Bible says that we are enemies of God, that we too were once dead in our trespass, and that we too were once following the course of this world by the devil and the power of the air. And instead of being obedient children, he calls us disobedient. And he called us the vessels of his wrath. But yet God, in his mercy, recruited us to his team. God would have been within his rights to squash Paul right then and there. Wouldn't he have? One of these days, I'm going to do a message called The People That God Killed. Because there are people that God just reached out and said, you know what, I've had enough of you, and he just plucked the light from them. But yet Paul, one I would think that all of us would say, he needs to go. God says, no, I want that man. So when Paul here is defending the gospel, he's defending something here more than just doctrine. He's defending here something more than just a story. He's defending something that has personally changed his life. Paul had some credibility here. Now, as we're going to see, he didn't have credibility at the beginning of his ministry, but he earned it through many sufferings and persecutions and trials. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 15 through 16. It's on the monitor here. He says, But the Lord said to him, speaking to Ananias when uh, he was uh, to go to Paul, he says, Go, for he saw Paul as a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. For Paul, the gospel was very, very personal and very, very intimate. And let me tell you, as you look at Paul's life, one who was geared toward the destruction of Christianity, to put to rest for now and ever that Jesus was not the Messiah. The only thing that could describe how he becomes not only zealous against it, becomes the number one zealous for the kingdom, the only explanation for Paul's abrupt change is the power of God's calling and conversion as only a supernatural and divine revelation that could alter Paul's life in such a drastic way. See, that's the power of a transformed life by the gospel. It takes you what you are, and it changes your desires, and it changes your passions. What I like about Paul is, in essence, Paul was the same man before and afterwards in some respects. He was zealous, intelligent, and a go-forth guy. Very bold. After Christ, he was all those same things. The difference is he had a different purpose. Instead of destroying, he built up. Instead of killing, he was the one being killed day in and day out. Paul declares that he was called from the womb. 
And that's an important phrase because it would be one that would be recognized by those that claim the Judaizers. For he declares that he was called from the womb, just like the Old Testament prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, who said that they were set apart and called out from the womb. And he tells the Romans that he was a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You see, that's important of the gospel. For the effective call of the gospel is a convincing call as God supernaturally intervenes. So Paul is saying, listen here, Galatians, here's something you need to know. This is a supernatural act of God. It's not a man, but it's of God. And I know it's of God because He supernaturally changed me. Paul writes that there's no logical, there's no reasonable, there's no religious or human reason for Him to change except through the work of God. And you and I are very much the same way. Ephesians chapter 2 lays this out very clear. As you and I look at ourselves through the mirror of the gospel, that we see that we're no better than the Apostle Paul, but yet by the mercies of God, it says He's made us alive. That's the gospel I want you to experience today. That's the gospel that you and I are to cling to. That's the gospel you and I are to share and to hold on to dear life with. Which brings us to the third point. And that's the transforming power of the gospel causes a change that brings glory to God. Look at verses 18. For he goes, then after three years, after this change, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicily, and I was still unknown to the persons or in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. But verse 23, they were only hearing it said, and look at this, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And then verse 24 is the crescendo. And they glorify God because of me. That's what Paul is defending here. He says, don't you see this? Here's the power of the gospel. It transforms lives. It changed my life. And it led others to glorify God in front of me. Again, as I said earlier, some of his opponents were accusing him of distorting the apostles' message. However, Paul is proving his independence on Peter and the other apostles as he did not present himself before them to be taught or to have confirmation of his ministry and of his calling. He informs that he spent only a limited amount of time in Jerusalem with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. The great news is that they and the churches, though, had heard of the great witness of the transformative power of the gospel in Paul's life. You see, the purpose of the gospel is to glorify God by exalting His wonderful grace while the Jews use the law and circumcision to glorify self and their own works. And that's what's happening here in the church of Galatia. They said, oh, you can have your Jesus, but you've got to have what we have too. 
And for them it came a matter of pride. Look at what we can do. Look what we can obey. And again, that's not the gospel. For in the gospel, this is important for those of you who may not have heard the gospel before. The gospel is that you are not to work to make yourself right before God. For Scripture tells us that you cannot do it. You will fail. Romans 3.23 tells us that we all come short of the glory of God. You and I can never approach a most holy God. But here's the power and the wonder of the gospel is that Jesus did what I could not do. Jesus provided what God required. The power of God's amazing grace is shown in the ministry of Paul. He had worked zealously against what he perceived to be the enemies of God, yet in reality, he was actually working against the very workings of God. And I think there are many churches, there are many pastors, there are very many saints that are doing the very same thing. As we call people to worship the very one mighty God and we present the gospel, we'll add many times and say, well, you then you need to look like this, you need to act like this, you need to dress like this. And we get all the Christianese out. And we build our Christian theme parks and Christian bowling alleys and our Christian movies. And we move away from culture. We move away from the world and say, this is what it means to be a Christian. The world could no longer see us. They can no longer speak to us and view the life. But Paul was in the middle of it. Not accepting the things of the world, not indulging in the things of the world, but setting up and saying, here's what the power of the gospel provides. Yet God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved Paul, and even when Paul was dead in his trespasses and sin, God made him alive together with Christ, because by grace Paul had been saved. And that's the gospel that he wants to preserve. And that's the gospel he needs to hold up. And I want to share with you, that's the gospel you and I are to cling to. You and I are to live out the, its implications and that we're to share with others. So Paul wanted them to know that the transforming power of the gospel is divine in nature. That it's a work of God and that it brings a change that brings glory to God, not to the one who lives the life. And I want to bring it now 2,000 years forward, and I want to share with you four things that are for us today. How can you and I take this transformative power, this gospel? Well, it's very simple. The first one is you and I, we are to treasure this gospel as a gift from God. You and I need to treasure this gospel as a gift from God. Would you take your Bibles? This will not be on the monitor. Second Peter, if you would, please, chapter 1. Also, I want to encourage you, if you need a Bible, because you don't have one, please let us know. We'd love to give one to you. As we look in verse 16, we find that you and I are to treasure this gospel as a gift from God. Look what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 16. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, 
This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on that holy mountain. Verse 19. He goes on to write, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in the dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God by the Holy Spirit. You and I must understand that we're to treasure this gospel as a gift from God. It is not from man. You and I hold something that's very, very dear. But even then, that leads us to number two. Because even though it may be divine in origin, the gospel is entrusted to us. We must hold it dear, and we must recognize that it's entrusted to us. In his letter to Timothy, Paul tells him that, you, that what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrusts to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Why is it that we have hundreds, if not thousands, of churches and pastors and people who do not know the gospel, who preach and teach and try to live a different gospel? It's because the one generation has not faithfully entrusted it to the next. So here you and I are. Maybe you have received that gospel. And you received it with joy. Your responsibility does not end with your receiving, for now it must be passed down to the next. Just as a father becomes a grandfather, then a great-grandfather, he doesn't take himself out of their lives, but he continues to be in their lives, making sure that they are well taken care of and that his sons and his daughters and his grandchildren and grandchild are being taken care of and are learning the family tradition and learning family history and learning about life. So let me ask you this. Have you received the gospel? If not, would you do so today? Would you open your heart to the powerful, transformative power of the gospel? If you have received it, who are you passing it on to? Who are you entrusting it to? Do you see it as a treasure ready to be handed over like a family heirloom? That's what God has called us to do. The third point is that the same power that changed Paul's life dramatically, drastically, radically is now in work among us today. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. In Acts, it tells us that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now in work in the Spirit. And the same one that can repurpose uh, Paul is the one that can repurpose you and I. And for you and I, we need to look to our families, to our loved ones, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our neighbors. Everyone is looking for a solution, are they not? We have the gospel. 
And I want to qualify that by saying we don't add Jesus to the mix and say stir. Because that's what most people want. Only, all, really what they want is they just want to add Jesus as one of another parts of solution. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is seeing Jesus as the only solution. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. What you and I need to realize is that's what our family needs. They don't need another solution. They don't need another self-help book. They don't need another to-do list. What they need is the gospel. For that's transformative. So I would pray for you if you're here today and you're saying, my life is not what it should be. My life is not what I want it to be. Then you need to be praying the gospel. You need to be praying the gospel. I recognize who God is. Here's the gospel very simply. I recognize who God is. He's the ultimate being. He created all things out of His power from nothing. And every breath I take, every function of my life is a gift from Him to me. And God created me in that in the order that I may look upon Him and that I may find Him the worthy object of my admiration. But the gospel continues to say that we have not done so. That you and I in our rebellion as children of an Adam and Eve have failed at every point to hold him up as our object of admiration. And in it the wrath of God abides on us as we have fallen into sin. For in our nature in our attitude, in our actions, we fail to conform to God's moral law. Not only that, it finds that we are incapable of doing so. And God requires perfection. And since we are not perfect and holy as He is, He says that I cannot abide with you. And the penalty of that sin, of that rebellion, is death. But the gift of God is what? eternal life so the gospel continues when jesus says i will go and i will pay that penalty of sin the father says i love these people let's make a way so there can be peace between us so he sends his son who lives 33 righteous years accomplishing all that the law required he who accomplished the perfect obedience that you and i are incapable of and then presents himself as a sacrificial lamb who is slain in my stead. God looks at that penalty, puts it on him, takes my sin, and says, carry the sin of, of Rob, carry the sin of Dustin, carry the sins of the whole world. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, the very wrath of God was on his son. And God had to turn his eyes, for he could not see him. But the gospel continues in the fact that he took the very perfect righteousness of Christ and says, not only will I take your sin and put him on, that, on Christ, but I'll take Christ's righteousness and I'll put it on you. And he now views us as righteous. And because of that, we now can have peace with God. That's the gospel. That Christ accomplished what I could not. That Christ provided what God required. That's the gospel. And that gospel ends with response. 
It's what will you do with that? How do I get the works of Christ and apply it to my life? That's when Christ calls us and brings us and draws us to our own and takes our heart of flesh and puts a new heart in which we see our sin as God sees them. And we see that God is more treasurable and we repent from our dead works and say, no longer do I want to try to work my way to heaven. No longer can I try and please myself, but I now see God as the greatest treasure that there is and I turn towards it in faith alone. Believe that God accepts me because of what Christ did. You see, that's the power of the gospel that's in work in our lives today. Which leads us to the fourth. The power of the gospel motivates us to live lives that glorify God. Peter writes that we are to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And we live now more so, at least in the days of America, in a day and time in which we find that our philosophies, our ways of living, our worldview, our morals, are no longer the most popular ways of living. We used to say that we had a Judeo-Christian viewpoint, political viewpoint, economic viewpoint, social viewpoint. We find ourselves day in and day out finding that that's not so. We're far, we're far from the persecution of the church in China, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan. There are now less Christian churches in Afghanistan than there was when the Taliban was there. Churches in Nigeria and Libya are finding themselves under persecution. In Egypt, day in and day out. The persecution you and I face is a little bit more subtle, yet he calls us to live lives that are so changed radically and drastically that others notice and give glory to God. If you have been called and converted as Paul has, it is incumbent on you to not only celebrate that transformation, but also to share it so that others may glorify God. This is the gospel that we're to defend. This is the gospel we're to hold on to. And this is the gospel we're to share. And this, by the way, is the gospel that you and I should be willing to give our lives for. Paul reiterates that this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And our task, this is my words, is our task is the same today as Paul continued to write to that church 2,000 years ago, and for us today, that it's that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is power in the transformed life. 
To God be the glory forever and ever. All God's people said. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.